Well, good morning, Tri-Village Church. Pyong, am I, uh, am I on working? All right, I hear it now. I was holding my 19-month-old, and he might have messed with the mic while we sang, so sign of a good worship, right? Um, so, uh, Tri-Village, my name is Kyle Reschke. I know you know me. I preach here fairly regularly, and also am here bringing uh, missions updates to you from our global and local missionary family, and uh, just so pleased to be with you again today. Now for the kids who are going to go to our children's ministry today, you are dismissed at this point. So um, your, your teachers, uh, everybody who's leading your classes are waiting just outside for you. You all look like you know where you're going. That's great. Um, so church, we have, uh, I, I have a few things to acknowledge, also to celebrate this morning before we uh, get into our sermon time and preaching of the word. And uh, we're in May. You may or may not know May is also uh, Asian American Heritage and Pacific Island Heritage Month. And so uh, in honor of this month and our many brothers and sisters and what God is doing around the world, we just want to join together and celebrate our fellow citizens of Asian uh, and Pacific Island Heritage. Now, here's some, I think, incredible facts. Consider these to be, I think, God at work among us and in our communities, okay? So the Chicago suburbs, I looked up in Streamwood, and this church family, we are blessed to count as members many from the Philippines, Cambodia, China, Korea, Japan, Myanmar, Thailand, Vietnam, Indonesia, Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka, and the list goes on and on. Amen to that. Yeah. So as one church family, we actually see how the love of Christ, right, unites. And it, love of Christ doesn't unite us in a way that homogenizes our differences, but rather in a way that rejoices in the divine image in distinct and diverse peoples, right? We are richer together. We are richer because of how God shows up in each and every one of us. And so we as a church family celebrate that across our campuses, we have fellowships that meet uh, both as individual fellowships, but then also as part of our broader church family, our Filipino group, Agape, and the Khmer Fellowship, and also that our church has 16 missionaries through um, Asia and the South Pacific. Amen to that. And last, something you may not know, but that I love seeing around the world. What God is doing in creating a new heartbeat throughout Asia and the South Pacific. So one, two, three generations ago, countries that were once missions fields, meaning primarily they were places where missionaries were sent, things have flipped around. So we say those once mission fields are now becoming missions forces. So, nations like Korea, the Philippines, China, India, Samoa, even Mongolia are people sending tens of thousands of Christ's ambassadors to their neighboring nations and around the world. So, I want to close this reflection from Psalm 97, which just declares, The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all peoples see his glory. Amen? 
Amen. And we know what weekend we're in, too. We do have another group of men and women to uh, honor here in our church family. So um, as we have Memorial Day tomorrow and we remember and pray for and reflect on the sacrifices of the brave men and women who have served in the military, I want to ask you, if you have served or a family member or loved one have served, would you please stand now and be acknowledged? Can we please thank these brothers and sisters for their service? So may God bless all of you on Memorial Day. Thank you so much again for your service. And church, our hearts are heavy too. We're going to pray. I invite you to pray with me this morning for peace in our nation. For peacemakers in our nation. As our hearts are heavy with the continued mass shootings that are in place. We know so many this weekend are grieving, and and instead of a statement, I I want us to be just in prayer um, for that. So would you join me this morning in prayer? Lord, we see you among us. We, We see you. We experience you, and we thank you, the Lord of the nations. God, I ask that you would continue your work for your glory. Yes, today as we have a a special remembrance of our um, uh, Asian and Pacific Island uh, heritage brothers and sisters. We pray that you would continue your good work in them and through them, but Father, so much more broadly in the nations, among the nations, and in your people. We pray, Lord, for our service members in all branches of the military. Father, we thank you for their service. We also this weekend um, take a moment of silence remembering those who have passed. And so, Lord, this Memorial Day, may we as a church family celebrate together Father, may we grieve together for all the victims and families of those killed and injured in the recent shootings, New York, Texas, but so many, too many to name in recent years, Lord, and that is why we come before you with hearts so heavy. We see, Father God, every single day the need for peace that surpasses all understanding. We see, Lord, the need for for the Prince of Peace to move in hearts to move in sinful human hearts that left to their own devices, we all know are prone to violence, violence to ourselves and to one another. And so, Lord, we pray, would you be among us? Would you be with us and guide us? I pray, Lord, that here at Tri-Village, you would be with the sick, the lonely, the downtrodden. Father, make of your church, grow in your church, peacemakers. And not peacemakers because any tools or tricks or methods, but peacemakers because we are overflowing with the presence of your spirit and the love of the Prince of Peace, Father. That is what I pray for our church family this morning. Lord, thank you for Tri-Village Church. Be with us as we open your word together and encounter the good news of your presence and your love. It's in your most holy name we pray. Amen. So church family, we are in um, 
the book of Matthew, right, for a while. We're still just getting through the initial chapters. Uh, we are today in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. So if you want to uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 4, I see a lot of the, the journals our church is using among you. That's great. I would give mine as an example, but I gave it away to a visitor to our church a couple weeks ago. And uh, so many have taken the journals that we needed to do a reprint. So I say praise God to a church family that needed to order more scripture, right? Um, If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, I'm going to be in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. We read, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Favorite topics to talk about? Anybody say number one and two are temptation and Satan? Probably not. But really important topics to discuss here. Because actually what we see, we learn a lot about the character of God, the nature of God. We actually learn so much about our Savior in how he responds actually and also about who he is. So I'm going to ask you for a little bit of honesty as we continue here today. Anyone here ever been tempted? Okay, good. All being honest today. That's good. I have a long list of examples in case you all didn't raise your hands, but you know, right? Is it small or is it big? Well, there's this, there's this wide swath, but to be tempted. I was reading this week, temptation, uh, aptly summarized, is an enticement to be disobedient to God. Temptation is being enticed. It's being shown something, and it's asking you to take a step small or big, or anything in between, in disobedience to God. That's what we're talking about today. Our passage that we just read deals with one of the primary times Jesus was tempted. So uh, again, not one of those combos where I say, cozy up, get all comfortable, let's tell happy stories around the campfire, but it's real. It's real for us today. Temptation was actually very real for Jesus. We just read about it. It happened several times, right? 
So what I'm going to do today, I'm going to set up our context. I'm going to take some time to do that, really the what, where, why, how this is happening in the life of Jesus, okay? What just happened and what Jesus is heading to, and so really what is living in the middle here. So like Pastor Eric, your pastor says, context is king, right? We, want, we can learn so much in the passage by what's happening around it too. And so after the context, though, I have three truths that we're going to use, that we're going to see as I walk us through verse by verse this passage, okay? So those three truths are the provision of God, the protection of God, and the promise of God. Context, and then these three truths about God, okay? Are you all with me? Awesome. Okay. So very first word. As we go to our passage, Matthew uh, 4, verse 1, and I have one word, then. Then, what had just happened? What was Jesus coming from? Then, Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You just heard last week this amazing thing had just happened, this holy moment. What occurs at the end of Matthew 3? Jesus' baptism. Jesus is baptized, this major step. The one that John the Baptist has been talking about, the king has come, and Matthew 3, 16 and 17 states, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water, and at that moment, think about this moment, because it is really important for the then in Matthew chapter 4. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So what a holy moment, right? Heaven was opened. The Trinity is present. God the Father, the Spirit came down and onto the Son. This incredibly holy moment. And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, I'm spending time here because I want you to see this. The linkage here is really important. So there's actually a scientific law. Anyone heard of Isaac Newton? Okay, flashbacks of freshman year physics class. What the law, uh, one law of motion uh, or of force states for every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. I'll say it's not quite equal here because Satan, not equal to God. But we see this all over the spiritual world throughout Scripture. For every action, then there is this reaction. I I was reading this week, and one commentator put it, the action of God actually then is usually followed by the reaction of Satan. The action of God, the truth of God, followed by the temptations, the lies of Satan. What do I mean? Jesus' baptism sees the doors of heaven opened, and it's actually followed so closely by the doors of hell opening. In Genesis, in the beginning of Scripture, this is the story. Adam and Eve, we read, are close to God. God has finished this beautiful creation, the work of God, and he declares it good. He is so close to Adam and Eve. And what does that then invite? Who shows up in the garden in response to say, did God really say that? Did God really do that? God's people Israel see God move in incredible ways. 
parts the Red Sea, defeating the armies of Pharaoh, brings food in the wilderness, new with each morning, wins great battles, and following in come the lies, the questions. Did God really say that? Did he really do that? Did he promise that? And God's people grumble, doubt God, fall to the temptation. Did God really say, don't make idols, don't worship any other gods before me? What do God's people do? They follow the gods or the idols of the nations around them. The temptation comes in and over and over, God's people fall to it. And then God has this period of teaching, instructing, sending his people. This is in the wilderness. To relearn, to deepen, to be obedient to him, to rely on him, to be reminded of his promises. For those idols, we pray to be stripped away. Even King David, the writer of many of the Psalms, had a period of testing and of hardening, of actually crying out to God in the wilderness before he became king. So this is the then. This is the then that this this preparation, this high spiritual moment, Jesus is baptized. He is the Son of God in whom God is well pleased. Invites the reaction of Satan. Anyone ever experienced that? Coming off of kind of a spiritual high and feel an extra deep, call it a spiritual attack, an extra struggle, extra temptation that comes your way? We see this on summer nights here in the Midwest, right? Throw on your porch light at night about two weeks from now, and there's a light that pierces the darkness. Beautiful. On a beautiful summer night. But two minutes later, here in Illinois, here in the Midwest, what is absolutely swarming around that light? Every mosquito, bug, yeah. So that's our context. That's the then. Then Jesus. He was actually led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So that's important. The devil didn't lead him there, but the devil is reacting. He's reacting to this spiritual high, tempting. What was temptation? An enticement, an invitation to be disobedient to God. So what I want us to talk about today, that uh, Jesus models this. I want you to see that in the provision of God, the protection of God, the promise of God, with every temptation, Jesus says no to that temptation. And every time Jesus says no to temptation or no to Satan, Jesus is saying yes to the cross. Every time he is resisting, he is actually being, living, who we read in Hebrews, our great high priest who is tempted in every way, but did not sin. And so we're going to look at Christ, but I want you to see many people live their whole lives without really deciding how to deal with temptation just kind of going through the motions or doing so on a case-by-case basis. And if that's true, that's a scary thing. Because I'll promise you something, temptation will come. In a business leadership uh, statement, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And so, church, I want you to hear this this morning. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, 
this is hard to hear, but with temptation, you're on your own. If you do, as we will see today, Jesus Christ is our perfect high priest before the throne of God who did not sin. That is our Savior. So yes, we're, we're wrestling today with a tempter, but ultimately we know the end of the story. He's a defeated tempter, right? Amen? Okay. So first, we have the provision of God. Turn back with me. We're in, in chapter 4, uh, verse 1. I'm going to take us through several uh, uh, portions of this passage. The provision of God is what this temptation is, is about. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So side note here, if you want extra reading this week, go back to Deuteronomy chapters 6 through 8. A lot of the scripture that is being quoted by both Jesus and Satan in this passage come from those. So Jesus has fasted for 40 days, 40 nights. And so at that time, right, 40 days, 40 nights, and we read, he was hungry. So what at that time would seem to be the biggest need facing him? Food, water, sustenance, physical strength, any of the above, right? And in comes Satan. The if here, the if you are the son of God, uh, sometimes has been translated more like a statement. It's not actually saying if. The devil knows Jesus is the son of God. It's a lot of times translated since. Since you are the son of God, really declaring you are hungry, just turn these stones in. To bread. So what's the temptation? Yes, it's bread, this momentary thing, but this temptation is to stop trusting in the provision of God. Satan is asking Jesus to say, just turn these stones into bread and feed yourself. Just do it. You can do it since you are the son of God. The temptation is to stop trusting in the provision of God. This goes back because when being tested in the wilderness, the Israelites would wake up each morning and find bread from heaven. It was the provision of the Lord. And what was their temptation then that we actually read in scriptures that they gave into? To hoard up more. God said, I'm going to give you what you need. This is where the term daily bread came from. I will give you daily your bread. Trust in me. Don't hoard it up for yourselves extra. It will go rotten. Who I promise you, you will wake up tomorrow and it will be here again. I will provide. Who is the provider and sustainer? Well, for sinful human beings, we often seem to think that we are so often, don't we? This will be solved through my work. I can earn X, Y, or Z. I can fight temptation on my own. I don't need the community of believers. I don't need the word of God. I don't. We are a culture of self-sufficient celebrators, right? 
And how many times in recent years have we been pretty much totally disabused of that notion? That there are things far beyond our control. You see, that's what temptation does. It actually takes a good thing from God, His provision. Something that will always be good from God. Food. Our bodies need food. We live in this world. They're real bodies. But it gets turned into the thing we actually seek after more than God. We make good things into God things. Or we take the gift of God and forget the nature of the giver. The giver is actually provider, sustainer. So that's the temptation to Jesus. And the fact that it was the Spirit who had led him to this desert, Satan says, become your own provider of food. Just use your power. Stop leaning on the Spirit and the Father, even though they were at your baptism, even though the Lord was well-pleased, they were present. You can do it. You're hungry. Just do it yourself. Same question back in Genesis. Did God really say he would provide for you? And Jesus quotes scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and says, what shall man live by? What will be his foundation, the source of provision? He said, I will not live just on bread. He claims that his provider, his sustainer, is God. Okay, everybody with me? That's number one. And so I'm going to do the, instead of at the end, all the good news of Jesus, there's good news of Jesus in every one of these. Because what I said at the beginning, every no that Jesus says here is a sign of his yes actually to who he is and what he would do. Because how thankful we should be that Jesus didn't take all this into his own hands. We know that before he went to the cross, he was challenged to exert his power. He was challenged again to provide for himself. And he said, yes, I have legions of angels that I could call to my defense. But that wasn't what faithfulness had for Jesus. Jesus' no to temptation there into his own hands was faithful. He yielded to the will of the Father, the leading of the Spirit, and it led him to So instead of this temporary provision, Jesus actually becomes the provision for all humanity, among all nations like we were talking about before, for all time. Amen? That's good news. Jesus is no to temptation. Our second, we pick it back up, our passage back up, chapter 4, verse 5. We have another one. This is about God's protection. So God's provision, now God's protection. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. Here again, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Interesting, Satan knows the scriptures too, huh? Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus gives scripture, Satan gives scripture from Psalm 91, 11 through 12. The devil knows the scriptures well. Remember, this was one of the, this was a worship leader of heaven who actually himself fell to temptation. What temptation did Satan fall to? Giving worship to himself instead of God. 
Satan's actually giving his story here, twisting the words of God that he knows so well. Jesus, again, has a response from Scripture. You do not put your Lord God to the test. The question here is, Jesus, will God protect you? Did God really say his protection? Did he promise it? He was at the highest point of the temple, and so this would be likely a location called the Porch of Solomon. It it overlooks a valley, so in numbers, we're talking actually uh, the fall would be several hundred feet, okay? So actually, physically, it's not like a story or a couple-story fall of a maybe would survive. No, this would be a deadly fall. It would require uh, the angels concerning you to lift up their hands so that you would not strike against a stone. It's about the protection of the Lord. And Jesus resists again. And he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan says, will God really protect you? And Jesus says, absolutely. And here again, we have the good news that this Savior, when he was on the cross, we read in Matthew 26, 53, could have commanded the same angels that Satan said would protect his fall to bring him down from the cross, or to, uh, uh, when he was on the cross, uh, he was challenged to just bring himself down. If you are the king, if you are the Messiah, bring yourself down. But instead, Jesus resisted that temptation, stayed on the cross unto death, and accomplished salvation, taking the punishment, taking the fall that every sinner, which is all of us, you and me, by the way, deserved. But now all can call on the Lord and he will listen. Like Hebrews says, we have a great high priest and can approach the throne of God with confidence. Why? Again, because Jesus said yes to the cross. He did not fall to temptation. He lived without sin. And he did not fall to the temporary or momentary angelic protection or to put God to the test. So the provision of God, the protection of God, and we get to the last temptation, which is ultimately about the promise of God. Pick back up with me in verse 8, verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him what? How many of the kingdoms of the world? All the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This is about God's promise. A couple of things I want you to notice here. What does Satan promise Jesus? All the nations, all the kingdoms of the world in all of their splendor, okay? Guess what God has already promised to Jesus for all of time? The whole world, all the nations. It's a theme we can trace throughout all of Scripture. It actually was kind of funny to me to look at it that way where Satan's like, hey, this temporary time, these temporary nations and riches, but we know that the world will declare the glory of God, the glory of Jesus. 
so much longer than this one momentary time in the actual kingdoms of the world that Satan shows Jesus. It's temporary. They're temporary riches and splendor. Jesus will come from here, right? And he actually has resisted this temptation. He talks more often than almost anything else about the riches of this world, about money, gold, the splendors of this world that rust will ultimately destroy, that doesn't last in eternity, that treasures of the world are far different than the treasures of heaven, or paraphrased, he's preaching, you can't take it with you, right? Satan is just offering this hint Like it's a hint, it's a shadow, a taste of what God actually already offered. Not the whole thing, not the permanent thing, just a shadow. So what do I mean? So you all know me. I'm, I'm, uh, my passion is like missions, right? It's global missions. So um, something that I always see when I'm reading God's word is how much uh, this term, all the nations, or the whole world, or the entire world shows up in Scripture. Guess what? It's a lot. It's all the way through. God promised even Abraham in Genesis 12 that he would bless Abraham and all his descendants, and with that blessing, they would bless all the nations. God promised that that would happen through the seed of Abraham. You all addressed this here just a few weeks ago as we kicked off this series. That's the beauty of the genealogy that starts Matthew. Jesus is identified as the son of David, son of Abraham. And what's the, the, the work, the business, the, the, what does that family do that Jesus is now a part of and fulfilling? To be a blessing to all the nations. And so we're in the beginning of Scripture. In the end, in a vision of what eternity looks like before the throne of God. Revelation, popular verse, Revelation 7, 9 through 10. All nations are before the throne. And this isn't, everybody, take a look at this. This isn't a temporary glory. This is before the throne of God in heaven. And, and this is eternity. It's, so, it's for all time. When Jesus has been promised the nations and the heavens for eternity... And Satan tries to tempt him with a momentary or temporary glory. We praise God. We should be brought to praise of God. But Jesus did not say yes to that temptation. He did not want the kingdoms of the world in that way. He came to save the world so that none would So Jesus' reply to the invitation to worship Satan was strong. He said, away from me, Satan. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And if we want to see who's more powerful in this power dynamic, what does Satan do? When commanded to leave, he left. And the angels came and attended him. So Jesus resisted all temptation, all questions about God's provision, protection, and promises because his worship is devoted to God. Each of these temptations I want you to see offered Jesus a bloodless or a uh, without suffering, but only a temporary glory. And so each time Jesus said no to Satan, 
I will argue today he did say yes to the cross. He said yes to worship of the Father and to yielding of the will of the Father. So what does this mean for you and I today? When the question comes in, does God provide a Savior, salvation, a way out? Yes, he did in Jesus. Does God protect? Does he offer the power of the Holy Spirit in resisting temptation? Do we have a Savior who actually understands our temptation, was tempted in every way, but still said no? Yes. Is God faithful to his promises that all the nations will be his? Yes. No to temptation, yes to the cross. No to himself, so that like Pastor Eric talked about last week, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, his righteousness would be given to you. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That people could call on his name and be saved, actually forgiven for all the times we have said yes to temptation and fallen short of the glory of God and have not been righteous. Those who are in Christ are covered in his righteousness, the one who didn't fall to temptation. Disbelieve the promises of Satan and believe the faithfulness of God's promises. Christ said yes to the cross in his place, in our place. So he is the truest Israelite, the better Israel, who was tempted in the wilderness, but did not sin. This is what is so unique about the Christian faith. Here as I close, and I want you to hear this. A perfectly holy and sinless Savior. Perfectly holy. But yet at the same time, was fully man, experienced our temptations. Experienced everything that Satan can throw at him. And wow, did not give in to them when temptation came. We have a Savior who is not immune to suffering. Who actually understands it. This is where Christianity is unique among all the world religions. Because our faith is not about the countless steps we can take towards God. Or just saying, I'm resisting temptation and I will live a righteous life. No. Christianity is about the infinite number of steps God took towards us in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. It's a righteousness. It's a resistance of temptation. It's the whole picture that we could never do on our own. And we have an, a forever yes. Does God provide, protect, and is he faithful? And in Jesus, the answer is a resounding for all time yes. And so I want to close with a verse. I just, I'm going to read it slowly. I kept coming back to this one over and over in, in prep, preparing for this sermon this week. And it's worshipful because here is a Savior a Savior. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Put it up on the screen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. 
And here's what we've been talking about. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Hear this, church family. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we know that as we uh, worship today, as we gather together, as we fellowship, as we gather as your church, we worship a victorious Savior, but one who did not skip the cross, one who did not take the easier or the bloodless path. Jesus, we praise you, we worship you, and we just thank you. We, we come before you, Lord, confessing our need for you and praising you that you did not take a temporary or easy path to glory. You took the unbelievably challenging. You took the suffering of the cross, Lord, in our place, but it has meant salvation for the nations. So it's in your most holy name, Father, that we come to you this morning, that we acknowledge the truth, that we thank you for your word, and that as we call on you, as we believe in you, Lord, you bring the power of your spirit and your presence, Father. It's in your most holy name we pray. Amen.